Hi, Rebels. This Financial Literacy Month, Rebel Girls teamed up with Greenlight, the debit card and money app for families, to bring you everything you need to be smart with your money and to build healthy habits that last a lifetime. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to make smart choices with every penny, whether you're saving for something special or learning to invest. Greenlight gives kids the power to be independent and grown-ups can trust that their kids have money wherever they are. Sign up at greenlight.com slash rebelgirls to get your first month at no cost and start building money confidence for life. Once upon a time, there was a girl whose little voice grew to make a big difference. Her name was Oprah. Oprah lived in a wooden house on a small farm in Mississippi. When she was a child, her grandparents took care of her after her mother went north to look for a better job. Unlike wealthier families in the 1950s, Oprah's grandparents didn't have a radio, television, or even indoor plumbing. Every Sunday, Oprah and her grandparents walked down a dirt road to a small church. Although Oprah went barefoot most of the week, on Sundays, she wore shiny patent leather shoes and a dress made by her grandmother, Patty May. Inside the church, beautiful harmonies rose around Oprah. She sang along, her voice rising with the other congregants, her hands clapping in time to the music. Patty May taught Oprah to read and to write when she was very young, and they often read the Bible together. One Easter, when Oprah was just three years old, Patty May sent her to the front of the church. The church fell silent as Oprah recited a Bible verse in a loud, clear voice. The way people paid attention made Oprah feel like she was worth listening to. I'm Gail King, and this is Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls a fairy tale podcast about the rebel women who inspire us. This week, Oprah Winfrey. When Oprah was six, her mother Vernita finally sent for Oprah to join her in Wisconsin. In Mississippi, Oprah had been surrounded by trees and birds and fields, and the only sounds at night were the crickets chirping. But Milwaukee was a big city. Her mother rented a room in a boarding house, and when Oprah looked out the window, all she saw were buildings and houses, and the sky was filled with clouds of smoke from factories. When Oprah tried to go to bed, the sounds of cars honking kept her up. Oprah had hoped to spend more time with her mother, but Vernita was gone a lot for work. And then there was Vernita's new baby, Patricia whom Oprah helped take care of. Being a single mother, raising two kids was very difficult. So when Oprah was eight, Bernita sent Oprah to Tennessee to live with her dad, Vernon, and his wife, Selma. Oprah loved her life in Tennessee. Zelma and Vernon didn't have any other children, so Oprah had a bedroom all to herself. They applied for a library card and every week, Oprah piled up on a huge stack of books to carry home. 
Each book she read transported her to a world far beyond her own. The next summer, Oprah visited her mother in Wisconsin. But when her dad came to pick her up in the fall, Vernita said Oprah was not going back. Vernon cried, but Vernita was Oprah's legal guardian. He had no choice but to respect her wishes. In middle school, while other kids were rowdy in the cafeteria, Oprah read all by herself in a corner. By high school, she was even more distant. Oprah often skipped school, stole from her mom's purse, and even ran away from home. No one understood why she was acting this way. What they didn't know was that Oprah did not feel safe at home. Some of the relatives she was supposed to trust were actually hurting her. Oprah was afraid other adults would not believe her, and keeping it a secret made her feel very alone. When she got older, Oprah finally talked about what happened and said that kids should tell a trusted adult if someone is hurting them. If they don't believe you, she said, you keep telling until somebody does. But when Oprah was young, she didn't know what to do. So she acted out. Tired of Oprah's behavior, Bernita sent her back to her father in Tennessee when she was 14. Oprah struggled with everything that had happened to her, and her heart hurt. But Vernon knew his daughter was smart and headstrong, and he was determined to help her succeed. Vernon gave Oprah new rules to live by. She was to be home by a certain time every night. She was to learn 20 new vocabulary words every week, and she was to read five books every two weeks and write reports on them. When Oprah came home from school with C's, Vernon told her it was unacceptable. But C is average, Oprah protested. If you were a child who could only get C's, then that's all I'd expect of you, Vernon said, but you're not. And in this house, C's are not acceptable. Oprah thought her father was too strict, but as she followed these new rules, her life began to change. With her new focus on schoolwork, Oprah became an honor student, joined a public speaking club, and participated in student council. She entered speaking competitions and beauty pageants too. At one pageant, when Oprah was 17, a judge asked the contestants what they wanted to do with their lives. When Oprah's turn came, she said, I want to be a broadcast journalist because I believe in the truth. I'm interested in proclaiming the truth to the world. Oprah ultimately won that pageant. And when she went to a local radio station to pick up her prize, one of the employees let Oprah record herself reading a news story. A few days later, the radio station WVOL offered her a job. And after that, every day after school, she rushed to the station to read the afternoon news for Nashville's listeners. In 1972, Oprah was still working at the radio station when she started college at Tennessee State University. One day, a local television station called to see if Oprah wanted to audition to become a TV news anchor. Oprah had never been on TV. 
She watched the news a lot, though, so when she sat down at the audition, she channeled one of her favorite broadcast journalists, Barbara Walters. Oprah looked straight into the camera and read her lines seriously and clearly. They offered her the job, and at age 19, Oprah became the first black woman to be a news anchor in Nashville. Oprah loved working on camera, so she studied other shows and practiced her timing and delivery. Within a few years, she set her sights on new opportunities in bigger cities. In 1976, she got the call she had been hoping for. She was offered a position as a news reporter and anchor at a station in Baltimore, Maryland. Oprah wanted to say yes immediately, but to take the job, she'd have to move away. And that meant leaving school without graduating. Oprah knew an opportunity like this was rare. It was a risk she had to take. So she packed up, hugged Vernon and Zelma goodbye, and set off. Oprah was excited to be on her own in a new city. She rented her first apartment, bought some new clothes, and showed up for her first live broadcast sporting an afro. Oprah's bosses sent her to a fancy hair salon in New York City to straighten her natural hair. She needed a makeover, they insisted, but the stylist left the harsh chemicals in for too long and Oprah's hair turned brittle and all of it fell out. She had to cover her head with scarves for weeks. The network didn't like Oprah's approach to reading the news either. She read using the style she developed in Nashville, with warmth radiating from her voice. If she was reporting on a house fire and the homeowner was distraught, she didn't think it was right to interview them. Or when someone told her about something terrible that had happened, sometimes Oprah was so moved that she'd cry on air. Every day when she went home, she carried the pain of those stories with her. Her bosses criticized her for being too sensitive, arguing it was inappropriate behavior for a newscaster. Eventually, one of her bosses called her into a meeting. We think you're so talented. We want you to have your own spot in the morning, he said. He tried to make it sound positive, but Oprah knew she had been demoted. Oprah was devastated. Up until this point in her career, success had come pretty easily to her. Something good did come of it, though, but it wasn't what Oprah had expected. One of the production assistants, Gail King, that would be me, was worried about getting home safely during a big snowstorm. Why don't you stay at my place tonight, Oprah said. And I did. And we stayed up all night talking and laughing and talking. We found out we had similar philosophies. We liked the same people. We had the same taste in music. And we even wore the same size clothes. Within weeks, we were the best of friends. I have to tell you about my friend Penelope. She is hilarious. She only eats cheese doodles and canned beans and she loves to sing and fly through walls. Wait, did I tell you that Penelope is my imaginary friend? Well, she is, but she's totally real to me. 
Anywho, Penelope and I are very excited because there's a new movie coming out on May 17, all about imaginary friends. It's called IF, which stands for Imaginary Friends. Pretty cool, am I right? IF is so much fun, with lovable fuzzy giants and bright new galaxies. It stars Kaylee Fleming as B, a girl who discovers that she can see everyone else's ifs. Meanwhile, Cal, played by Ryan Reynolds, can also see ifs. Together, they team up and go on a magical adventure to reconnect forgotten ifs with their kids. If is from the brilliant mind of writer-director John Krasinski. It also stars John Krasinski, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Maya Rudolph, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Emily Blunt, Aquafina, and Steve Carell, just to name a few. It celebrates the incredible power of curiosity and creativity, and it's definitely a laugh-out-loud adventure for the whole family. If comes out in theaters starting May 17th and is guaranteed to knock your socks off. What? Oh, Penelope says she wears two pairs of socks at all times. Also, that imaginary friends get limitless refills on popcorn. So join us in the theater on May 17. Bring your imaginary friends too. Hey, grown-ups. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Listen, I used to be miserable with allergies from about the beginning of April till the end of August. Sometimes my best friend was a cold washcloth over my face. I couldn't taste my food because my nose was so stuffed up. I couldn't go for a run because my eyes were so itchy. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I've been taking Claritin D for my allergies for years, and it's been an absolute life changer. I can go for hikes, cut the grass, and most importantly, stop and smell the flowers. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. A few months after her demotion, a new station manager arrived. To help boost the station's ratings, he decided to make a new morning talk show called People Are Talking. He had seen Oprah's work, and he thought she would be the perfect co-host. If you're successful, you can make more of an impact on the community than you would have in TV news, he said. Oprah reluctantly agreed. In her new position, Oprah and her co-host interviewed people, famous people, regular people, and on this show, it didn't matter if she cried or laughed. That was what she was supposed to do. It came so naturally to her. It felt like breathing. The show's ratings soared. 
Oprah always wanted to challenge herself. And several years later, in 1984, another new opportunity arose. An old co-worker told Oprah that a struggling morning show in Chicago had lost its host and was looking for someone new. Oprah stayed up all night making her audition tape. She wanted to show them her best. And when the station manager met Oprah in person, he was so impressed, he offered her the job right away. Oprah was surprised. There weren't any solo talk show hosts on the air who looked like her. You know I'm black, she said. Oh, I know, he answered, and I'm overweight. He laughed at that. Well, so am I, and so are many Americans. He told Oprah he didn't want her to change anything about herself. Encouraged by her new boss, Oprah brought her warmth, empathy, and outspokenness to her new show in Chicago and decided to never be anything but her authentic self. People who watched Oprah's show AM Chicago connected with her openness. She often revealed personal stories, like her struggles with weight and her difficult childhood. She was not afraid to show her emotions. Within months, Oprah had more viewers in Chicago than the most popular talk show in the whole country. When Oprah walked to work in the mornings, people would say hi to her on the street. Hi, Oprah. Some asked for autographs. Others just wanted hugs. Once a city bus pulled over and the driver jumped out and shook Oprah's hand. Oprah thought the passengers would be mad because of the delay, but she was surprised when they applauded instead. By the show's second year, the station gave it a new name, The Oprah Winfrey Show. And in 1986, Oprah signed a contract that would send her show to television stations across the country. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and welcome to the very first national Oprah Winfrey Show. And just like that, Oprah appeared on the television screens in 10 million households across America. Oprah soon was a household name. In 1986, she became the first black woman to own a production company. In 1987, she finally got her college degree. And in that same year, she won a daytime Emmy for Outstanding Talk Show Host, the highest award in her field. Despite her success, Oprah wondered about the direction her show was taking. She wanted her work to bring light to the world. So she started implementing a rule. Her show would only highlight people who made the world a better place. Oprah brought on experts who gave advice about money, relationships, and personal health. She spoke to heroes and interviewed spiritual teachers. At first, the show's ratings slipped, but in the long run, her followers and her influence only grew. When Oprah started a book club, people ran to the local bookstore to buy what she recommended. When she started asking questions about the meaning of life, people explored their own values. And when she wanted to talk about difficult topics, the world joined in. By 1998, Oprah had won seven Emmy Awards for Best Talk Show Host. And that year, she received an Emmy Award for Lifetime Achievement. Better yet, the award was handed to her by her journalist role model, Barbara Walters. She and I remain the best of friends. 
Baltimore days never left us talking on the phone every single day. And although we lived apart, actually we've never lived in the same city, we talked on the phone several times a day and saw each other often. And when Hearst Corporation launched Oh! The Oprah Magazine in 2000, they hired me as editor-at-large. Our friendship has been better than a marriage, Oprah said. Something about this relationship feels otherworldly to me. And being supportive of that important friendship was one reason that Oprah was drawn to her partner, Stedman Graham. Oprah and Stedman met in the late 80s, and they've been together for 34 years. Over the years, we've all been there for each other. And when I was divorced and was spending my first New Year's Eve alone, Oprah and Stedman surprised me by showing up at my front door to cook dinner and celebrate the new year together. Now, what's interesting about that is my doorstep was in Connecticut and they lived in Chicago. And I'd been talking to Oprah that morning on the phone and she said, what are you doing New Year's Eve? Nothing, just sitting here. Four hours later, the doorbell rang and I opened the door and Stedman and Oprah were standing there with bags of groceries, pots and pans, because I didn't even have pots and pans. And then we cooked dinner. It was one of the best New Year's Eve ever. In 2003, Oprah became the first black female billionaire in the world. And as Oprah grew in fame and fortune, she used her influence and privilege to take care of others. She built libraries, started scholarships, and founded schools. She encouraged her viewers to send in their spare change, and she used those donations to build houses and support underprivileged students. Though her popularity showed no signs of stopping, Oprah finally decided it was time to move on to other adventures. After 25 years of hosting The Oprah Winfrey Show, Oprah had filmed more than 4,500 episodes and interviewed around 40,000 people. And in 2011, Oprah filmed the show's last tearful episode. But that didn't mean she slowed down. Instead, she turned her focus to running Oh! The Oprah Magazine and leading her own television channel called the Oprah Winfrey Network, or OWN. She also continues to run her studio, Harpo Productions. Through these and other projects, Oprah uses her own life experiences and vision to highlight important issues and amplify the voices of people whose stories have gone unheard. For example, when Oprah realized how many friends and family members she had who struggled with mental illness, she devoted a whole issue of O Magazine to mental health. So many people living in shame, hiding their struggles, Oprah wrote, the only real shame is on us for not being willing to speak openly. We need to start talking and we need to start talking now. Oprah's film and TV projects often focus on stories by and about women and people of color. It is through the stories of other African-American women that I felt my own sense of identity and came into my own power, Oprah said. So Oprah's movies and shows often feature black voices and tell stories that Oprah hopes will empower others too. In 2018, the Smithsonian's National Museum of African-American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. 
opened an exhibit about Oprah's life and career. When Oprah visited the exhibit, the thing that moved her most was a note scribbled in the guest book. It read, watching Oprah every day is the reason I love myself so fiercely. Through Oprah's courage to be herself, she inspires millions of people to be themselves too and to proclaim their own truths. She often says, what I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. Hello, I'm Sadie from Nashville, Tennessee. Today's episode was hosted by award-winning journalist Gail King. Gail is co-host of CBS This Morning and an accomplished television journalist, delivering original reporting to all CBS News broadcasts and platforms. She is also editor-at-large of the award-winning O, The Oprah Magazine. This podcast is a production of Rebel Girls and Boom Integrated, a division of John Marshall Media. It's based on the book series Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls. Our executive producers are Elena Favili and Danny Lonnie. This season was produced by John Marshall Cherry, Sarah Storm, and Robin Lai. Corinne Peterson is our production manager. This episode was written by Alexis Stratton and edited by Mighty Vu. Proofread by Danielle Overdeer. Original theme music was composed and performed by Alecha Barjaki, who has also sound designed this episode. Mattia Marcelli was the sound mixer. Until next time, stay tuned and stay rebel. Can't get enough of Rebel Girls? Well, luckily, the Rebel Girls app is now completely free. That's right. You can listen to the entire library of goodnight stories for Rebel Girls ad-free. Plus, check out the app's cool features like activities, trivia, custom playlists, and more. All parent-trusted and kids-safe. Find out more at rebelgirls.com audio and download the Rebel Girls app today. Thanks for listening.